Our title tonight is Singing a New Song. It's going to be different what many people might think it is. Singing a New Song. Let's pray. Father, let your Spirit have free course in this place. Exalt the man Christ Jesus. We lift him up to magnify his name. Your name which you have given to him. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things of heaven. Of things of earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Strengthen your people. Separate them to your word. And if there's one here that has not known Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray or this night be over, they'll be singing a new song. Father, glorify thine own good self. In your name we ask it, the name of Jesus. Amen. Psalm 33, verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. For praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with psaltery. And with an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his works are done in truth. Nine times in Scripture, the term a new song is mentioned. It is mentioned in the Psalms some six times. It's mentioned in the book of Isaiah one time. And it is also mentioned in the book of Revelation twice, the very last book of our Bible. And so this is old and new. We want to look at singing a new song. When I got the thought of this uh, just Friday past, I thought of the new song that God places in our hearts at, uh, at salvation, the song when we read of how the psalmist would even say, he hath put in my mouth a new song. When we sing many of the worldly songs, songs at sports arenas or whatever, but Christ puts in our hearts and in our mouth a new song. But we want to look at the very first mention of the term a new song in our reading. This is the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. Psalm 33. But we want to look at the build-up to this new song. Psalm 33 and verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. First of all, who are to rejoice but the righteous? And the upright. We're going to look at this in a moment. Those who are righteous in Christ. This is Old Testament, but righteous in Christ, looking to those who have made Christ their Lord and Savior, as it were, are righteous. We bear the righteousness of Christ. And the upright ones are those who are living in His grace, but striving to live well for Him. It doesn't say you don't make mistakes. 
It doesn't say you never fail him, but we try to live a life for Christ. Men and women who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus can rejoice in Christ. So who are to rejoice but the righteous and the upright? Where are to we rejoice? It says rejoice in the Lord. Men and women outside of Christ may rejoice in the things of the world. They may rejoice in their riches. They may rejoice in even their religion. They may rejoice in many things, but here the psalmist is telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rejoice in the Lord because you are righteous before him in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. So where are you to rejoice in the Lord? Why are you are we to rejoice? It is because, it says, for praise is comely. The word comely here means it's right that you should do so. It is just and proper that you should do so. But also it means this. It means it is a beautiful thing that you would do so. If you want to be a person who wants to serve the Lord Jesus, if you want to be a person who loves the Lord Jesus, if you want to be someone who walks with Jesus and you want to be pleasing unto God, then rejoice in what he has done when he died for us at Calvary. Rejoice in the power of the blood of the Lamb that he's cleansed us from all of our sins. Rejoice in the eternal security of his great salvation that he has for his people. Rejoice that he has given us his Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in the church. Rejoice in the wonders and the beauty, the majesty and the glory of Christ. If you're going to rejoice, then rejoice in the Lord. And it's beautiful. When you rejoice in Christ and believe him, that he's a God who loves you, then you will see that God will answer with an outpouring of blessing because he sees it as beautiful in his sight. The word rejoice needs to be looked at before we go any further. The word rejoice is the Hebrew word ranan, and ranan means to give a ringing cry. It means to shout for joy, to cry aloud. It gives the idea of a great exaltation, a shout, a cry to overcome. In other words, realizing that you're under the blood, realizing you're righteous before God, you're no longer in your sin, your sins have been paid for, your debt has been wiped clean, and you stand before God justified because you trust in the finished work of Calvary. When Jesus said it is finished, he paid your sin and your debt in full. Notice this. The word means that you have overcome when you're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. But notice this. It also means to give a shout at the destruction of one's enemies. To give a shout at the destruction of one's enemies. Now the first mention that we will see this happening is in Exodus chapter 15. If you will turn with me. Exodus chapter 15. For time's sake, we can't read the whole chapter. Mark it down. Read it when you go home. Israel have been brought out through the blood of a lamb. The lamb's blood was on the doorposts and the door lintels of the house. And when it is the, the nation has been brought out on dry ground through the Red Sea, 
The Egyptians, you know the story, they come racing into the sea. And they come to, to capture, recapture Israel again, and God collapses the sea upon them. Now, this is the word of victory and overcoming that is sang. Verse 1 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Notice, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. People don't like to mention that anymore. Remember, God is love. God is love. That's all we hear. And God to his nature is love. But God has wrath. And God will pour out his vengeance on those who obey not the gospel. Notice this. It says here that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We sang his name tonight. It's Jehovah or Yahweh is the name of Israel's God. So they're crying, Israel's God is Yahweh, and he wars and fights on our behalf. Then they cry, Yahweh is his name. And so they start to understand more about the personality of the one true and living God. This, you might say, is Old Testament, and it is. Notice as well, in Exodus 15 and verse 20, say we can't read it all, Miriam starts to sing as well. Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Moses sings the Lord triumphs gloriously. Miriam, his sister now, sings the Lord hath triumphed gloriously, and they're praising God for their great deliverance. In other words, they're saying, Lord, you have loved us so much that you opened the Red Sea. You loved us so much, you blew with your winds and they parted, and the ground became dry. You loved us so much, you brought us out the other side. You loved us so much, you thwarted the enemy and all of his throes and attacks against us. And so they rejoice that they have been baptized to the Lord under the cloud and through the sea, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, Know ye not that all our fathers, that your fathers and mine have been passed through the sea and were baptized under Moses, under the cloud and through that Red Sea. Moses here, he says, Moses is typifying the baptism of the believer. Now notice this. People say, Old Testament, it doesn't count now. We often sing about love all the time. Love, love, love. Brothers and sisters, we do love all men and women, even on a human level. But notice this, Revelation chapter 15, if you will turn to it with me, please. Revelation chapter 15. Here we have a vision, as it were, of glory. A vision of the kingdom of God in its fullness to come. Notice this, John is caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day in the Isle of Patmos. Now this is the last book of the New Testament, so this is under the New Covenant. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. That's New Testament, by the way. That's New Testament, wrath of God, New Testament. 
All we hear is God doesn't do those things in the New Testament. That's the last book of the New Testament. There's the wrath of God. In them is filled up the wrath of God. And they saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory, notice, over the beast and over his image, over his mark and the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sang, notice, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thy King of saints. Now notice that. Here we're seeing a vision of glory in heaven. And John says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. What was that song? We're only after reading it in Exodus chapter 15. The deliverance of God's Israel out of the the bondage of Egypt. And then they're singing the song of the Lamb. What is the song of the Lamb? We'll look at it in a minute. But the Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist pointing to Christ said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh taketh away the sin of the world. And so here in heaven, people are singing these two songs. You may say, well, I don't think that they should be singing a song of the sea crashing in and drowning the Egyptians. I don't think they should be singing that. Brothers and sisters, friends, they're singing that for this one reason. Because there but for the grace of God go I and go you. Because we're all be drowned in the sea as it were of God's wrath. Only for Christ coming, the Lamb of God that would save our souls. So they're singing in praise. Rejoicing in the Lord that the blood of the Lamb has been shed. Through the blood of the Lamb, Israel came out of Egypt. And through the blood of the Lamb, again, we will come out through this world and into God's glorious kingdom at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice this. The song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thy King of saints. So the song of Moses is Exodus 15. But will you turn with me again? I have you flicking all over the place. But turn with me again, please, to the book of Deuteronomy then. The book of Deuteronomy. Moses is 120 years old. He's going to die. He's facing the veil of death, as it were. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, he gives Israel... A new song to sing. He gives Israel a new song to sing. Again, I can't read it all. I'm only going to read a few verses. 120 years of age. Here's a man. And he's still strong in body, but God's going to take him. And God says, you can see Canaan, but you're not going to cross over the river Jordan into the promised land. Because Moses failed the Lord too. And the Lord says, but I will take you. And Moses then sits up and gives Israel, what the commentators would say, Israel's national anthem. Now, I'm not talking about the, the Israeli state today. This is ancient Israel, and it was, as it's been known, their national anthem. Actually, some commentators call this the, the song of the dying swan. The song of the dying swan. You ever hear, oh, he's had his swan song. It's, that's the end of it all. This was Moses' swan song, or the song of the dying swan. Let's read just a few verses or a couple of verses, please. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 40 and 41. Moses says, For 
If I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and make mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. Notice what God is saying in his inspiration through Moses to Israel. Notice what he's saying as he is dying 120 years of age and this man has never lost his passion for God. 120 years and he's walked the wilderness for 40. 120 years and for 40 years before that, he was in the backside of the desert. And the first 40 years, he was in an ark as a baby, uh, put into bulrushes, and he was reared by Pharaoh, and he grew up in luxury, thrown into the midst of horrific times and sparse times. And now he says at 120, he says, For if I lift my hand to heaven, I say, live forever. In other words, he knows in his dying breath that this is not his final place. He knows as he closes his eyes in death that he is the redeemed of the Lord. He knows as he closes his eyes in death that God will be with him even as David could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hear Moses before that, almost a thousand years before that, He sings the songs again. And he says, Israel, if you listen, here's an national anthem that your enemies will fear you. Here is an national anthem to say your God is with you and you're rejoicing in him and you're praising in him. And you read Deuteronomy 32, he speaks of God as my rock. He is my salvation. If I take, he says, the glittering sword in my hand and lay hold in judgment. Imagine Britain. Imagine Israel Britain singing that. Imagine them saying, we're going to sing this wondrous national anthem. And we're going to have this proclaim from parliament. We're going to have this from Stormont. We're going to say, Lord, we're trusting in God. No matter what the heathen may say, no matter what the enemy may do, we're trusting in the name of the Lord. And we'll take hold of the glittering sword of the word of God. Or in other words, one put it, What you take hold on the flashing blade of Almighty God. Oh, that Britain would take hold. Even the United States and Canada, the way our nations are going, would take hold of this fiery, glittering sword of God and yield it and wield it again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. Amen, brothers and sisters. Here we have this man dying at 120. Oh, this old man could be like Paul when he's a couple of thousand years almost or 1,500 years before the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul, filled with the Spirit, writes in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. He writes, going to the executioner's block, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Notice this, Paul says it in his personalized now. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. It's not Paul's faith, for he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here Paul is saying, I have reached the end. 
the executioner's axe is coming down upon my neck to sever my head from my shoulders. He says, but I know at this last moment, and I know at this last time, although I haven't seen all things come to pass, that he has me in his hand, and death itself shall not separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it wonderful to know you're saved, brothers and sisters? Isn't it wonderful to know when you reach that veil, and the dark cloud looms, and the death dew is on your brow, that Christ is your all, and your all, and you know him? Do you know him as your saviour? For if not then, where would you be at this time? Notice he's personal. Old William Ralph Featherstone, he wrote that lovely hymn. He says, I love thee in life. I love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, should the death dew lie cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis nigh. Oh, that time when we will lie, whether it be on a floor, whether it be on a bed at home, or a bed in a hospital, or in a hospice, at that moment when the death dew comes upon us, our only hope of all that we ever had in life and for eternity will be found in the Christ of God whom we loved, and whom we served, and whom we have trusted in this life. Oh, William Featherstone, do you know when he wrote that? I love thee in life, I love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. <laughs> and say, shoot the death, do you like hold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, does now. He wrote it, they say, between 12 and 16 years of age. A young boy. Sure, you've hardly lived, young boy. You've hardly lived. Do you know when he died? When he was 27. When he was 27 years of age, he died. William Ralph Featherstone. Moses at 120 still has a song to sing. And he gives Israel a national anthem. And he says, if you sing this song, that God is your rock and on that rock you will not be moved. And the rain may come and beat the house. And the storms may blow and beat upon it. But when the house is founded upon the rock, Christ Jesus, he says it will never be moved. Isn't that what Jesus said? In that very parable, Moses is still singing a new song. It's a song of glory, song of provision, song of power, song of judgment. It's a song of Moses acknowledging Yahweh's full, total, and complete sovereignty over all creation and all that is therein. For if I lift my hand to heaven and say I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold in judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. Imagine God saying, if I take the sword of judgment, I will reward them that hate me. That's God speaking. I reward them that hate me. You may say, well, that wouldn't happen. Not in the new covenant. Oh, no? Okay. Go with me to Second Thessalonians, please. You know, we're singing, Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Speaking of the Lord Jesus breaking the skies and coming back again the second time. Here the Bible speaks of it again in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Verse 7, the apostle says, Unto you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, notice, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Could we put that on the screen, please, Denise? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and onwards. Let's read it again, just in case people aren't reading it. want you to get it into. This is the Lord coming again. All the signs of the times around us are saying Christ is near, even at the doors. His coming is, is imminent, and we must be ready. And to you who are troubled with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. Who shall be punished, notice, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. Now notice this. And to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The Apostle Paul says there will be those at the coming of Christ who are not saved, who don't know him. And he says they will be under everlasting destruction and punishment. He says, but those who know him will admire him. So some will be under the song of Moses with the glittering sword in his hand, laying hold on judgment, taking vengeance on his enemies. And yet the others of us who are saved by grace and washed in the blood of Jesus, we will be singing the song of the Lamb. We will be singing of redemption. And we will admire him because he bought us with a great and a powerful price. We're singing in heaven, it says, the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. So Moses gives a new song to Israel. Revelation chapter 1, please. I want to look just at a few verses to show you the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb. If you're not saved, if you've never made your calling, your election sure. In other words, if you've never said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. You're the only Savior, Lord Jesus. And I believe that you shed your blood for me. And your blood is enough to save me, cleanse me and wash me from all my sin. And you've repented from your sin. If you've never done that, then you cannot sing that. But you can sing it from here on in, should you yield to Christ. This is the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb is a song of grace, song of love, the song of mercy. The song of the Lamb is a song of hope and joy and peace. The song of the Lamb is a song of forgiveness and even promotion. Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 says, Here John sees again this wonderful vision. Here's this wonderful sound coming from the redemption songs. And they're singing unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice, in his own blood. 
and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Notice what the redeemed of God are singing. Unto him who hath loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. Notice that. Unto him, who is him? The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto him who died on Calvary's cross, on Calvary's tree. Unto him who expired his own life and laid his head upon a pulseless breast, who went to the tomb and was buried for three days and rose again victorious. He says, unto him who loved us and hath washed us from our sins in his own blood. It takes the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. He's made us. He's loved us. He washed us. And he made us kings and priests unto God. You may not think it, but you're looking at royalty here. You're royalty if you're in Christ. He's made us kings and priests unto God. In other words, those of us who are in Christ have become born of royal blood. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb from the tribe of Judah. Here in Revelation 5 and verse 9, Revelation 5 and verse 9, it mentions a new song. And they sing a new song saying, Thou art worthy. Who's worthy? The Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Here they're singing again. You have redeemed your people. You have bought us back from the very slave markets of the world. He's saying, you have put a new song in our mouth. They sang a new song. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, and there is none other. So here is a new song in Revelation. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 14, please. Revelation chapter 14. Listen to what is said here. Verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood in the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to get too technical here at the minute. All you'll hear that that's 144,000 Jews like Billy Graham that are going to preach after so-called secret rapture. That's a load of nonsense. This is simply a number of the overcoming body of the administrators in the kingdom of God. This is not 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses either, as they tell you. This is an overcoming body. 12 by 12 is the perfect government of God when the kingdom of God arrives in its fullness. I have his name written in their foreheads. I mean, they're not, it's not going to say 
Yahweh across their foreheads or Jehovah. It's not going to say Jesus printed into your forehead. The idea is we take the very uh, doctrine and we take the word of God. We're fully yielded to the word of God. And because we're fully yielded, we are overcomers because this world holds nothing on us. And when Christ returns, he will reward those who have followed him and served him faithfully in the kingdom age. Notice this. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters and as a voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as a word a new song before the throne. I just want to throw this out there. Those who say there shouldn't be musical instruments in church are going to be sadly disappointed when you get to heaven. There you are. The kingdom has harps and all sorts of instruments in it. Notice this. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Now notice this, brothers and sisters, and take careful notice. First of all, he sees a lamb that stood on Mount Zion that looked as though it had been slain. In other words, it had the marks, but now it is alive again. It is, shows the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have in verse 3, they sung, notice the term, as it were a new song. This wasn't a new song in heaven. This was a song they had learned. This was a song they had learned in this life, the song of the redeemed. This is the song of the blood washed. This is the song of those who have been paired with the precious blood of Christ and have trusted Christ in this life. And that was, as it were, a new song means they have been singing it here. They will be singing it there because the blood of the Lamb will prevail and will avail for every aeon of time and eternity and they will keep on singing redemption songs. It's old but ever new. This is the gospel they're speaking of here. Notice, they sung as it were a new song before the throne. Verse 4, these are they which follow the Lamb. Now I want you to say, if these 144,000 or 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams as have been titled, um, how did they follow the Lamb? Because they don't follow the Lamb. In other words, these are Christian These are even Christian Israelites who have followed the Lamb. These are men and women who are blood-washed. These are men and women who have followed the Lamb, followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Whithersoever he goeth, and were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and of the Lamb. In other words, how can they be the firstfruits of God and of the Lamb if Jesus is secretly floated into heaven somewhere? How can they be the firstfruits of the Lamb if they have never known the Lamb? This is... The Lord Jesus Christ, and this is his redeemed church. Notice this then in verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. The everlasting gospel is an everlasting song. It's a new song, but it's an old song. It's a song as though it's a new song. And here, Revelation 14 and verse 7, they're singing with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory unto him. Now you're going to hear, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I hear it all the time. And people come up to me and ask me about it when I'm maybe talking to them or visiting them. But someone says, there is no fear of God left. The Bible says, fear God. Did you hear that? I didn't say that. Look what it says in verse 7. 
Fear God and give glory unto him, for the hour of judgment has come. You know what this is talking about? When I take in his, when he takes in his hands and he wets his glittering sword in judgment, when he comes and be revealed from the heavens, he says, for the hour of judgment has come and worship him that made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountain of waters. This angel with the everlasting gospel is not a literal angel, but is a, a type of faithful preaching servants of God who will herald the kingdom truth message, who will herald the redemption song, who will herald the salvation and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ without fear and without favor, that they'll herald it even if their very lives are at risk. This angel, as it were, represents those who preach the gospel till Christ come again, who keep preaching in the face of opposition, who keep telling the truth in the face of persecution, who keep telling men and women, you must be born again whenever people are saying, live your life, live it good, and you'll be all right. Brothers and sisters, if you're not born again, you'll never be in the kingdom. For Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Faithful preaching to the very end. But when the end comes and Christ is revealed from heaven, then he holds or wields that glittering sword that is wet in his hand, the flashing blade of God that kept Adam's race out of the Garden of Eden will then be put upon the children of man. But those who are saved will be singing redemption songs. Saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, but Jesus, he died for me. Here, we find that the Lord is coming back again. I want to wrap this up in a few moments, so your attention's tremendous and bear with me. This everlasting gospel must be preached until the very last moment Christ comes. And if we look at this in Revelation chapter 15, and we look at Revelation 15 and verse 7, Notice what it says. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. You can't get any clearer than this, brothers and sisters. This doesn't come to church and be a good person, all's all right. No, no, no. That's no way. The Bible's never like that. Here, the wrath of God. The, 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 the scriptures here tell us that every man or woman, whether it's whether it's Jewish or Israelite or whether it's Hebrew or whether it's Hindu, Muslim, Protestant, Catholic or whatever you may call yourself, atheist or whatever, faith or no faith, they must believe in Christ and what he's done on the cross. It's only in Christ. The four beasts give unto the seven angels, seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke. Here we talk then, as we go on into this, into chapter 16, and it speaks of war upon the earth. We're not looking at that. We've looked at that again. The kings of the east, in verses three unclean frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, now the mouth of the false prophet, in Revelation 16 and 13. And they are the spirits of devils, in verse 14, working miracles. 
Then by the time we come into chapter 17, listen to what we read. And upon her forehead was the name Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the whole earth. Here we find that this ministry of the angel of the everlasting gospel is an end time ministry. Is an end time ministry. What do you see around us? The political correctness, correctness and men afraid to open their mouth and speak. Christians afraid to speak the name of Jesus in a workplace. Afraid to pray with people in case uh, they lose their jobs. Preachers being afraid to preach and put online unless or in case they're brought to court. This is all happening and this is the beginning of sorrows for the church. But brothers and sisters, the end time gospel is the everlasting gospel. It's the gospel that will be sung in heaven and it's the gospel we all must adhere to. And this gospel is not only end time, but this gospel will be sung around the throne of God when Christ returns. Notice this. Judgment comes upon the earth. Babylon, the great harlot, the whore. Economical Babylon, ecclesiastical Babylon, governmental Babylon. We look at how uh, Romanism is bringing in the Jews and the Muslims and the Hindus together to have times of worship now. Bringing in atheists and telling them you don't need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Telling to the Jews you don't need to believe in Jesus because you're Jewish. Send to, send to the Muslims that the Quran is a holy book to kiss it and love it. Pope Francis. Here he's bringing them together. It's a one world government, monetary system. It's a new world order. And it says we must keep faithful and sing a new song. If we were to sing Israel's national anthem every day, if we were to sing, and I don't mean God save the queen, and I have nothing wrong, I wouldn't change our national anthem, I don't mean that. But if we were to sing it as a nation, if I take and wet in my hand the glittering sword of God and take hold of judgment, then our enemies would be scattered. Cry unto the Lord, thou hast been our rock. God alone is our salvation. So notice this, brothers and sisters. Ancient Israel's national anthem was the returning son of God to conquer the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, Christ the Messiah. Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice, cry aloud, overcome, a shout at the destruction of one's enemies. At this time, those who are redeemed will be crying unto God, unto him who hath loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory forever. Amen. And that will be redemption song. I close. Thank you for your attention. We are to rejoice because we're on the winning side. We are to rejoice in the Lord because we're righteous in Christ. That means we're lawful. He kept the law for us. We are to rejoice in the Lord because we're upright. In other words, we're living the best we can in grace. And in verse 2 says, Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery, and with an instrument of ten strings. See the word harp? It's the word kinor. You know what it means? Playing with a musical instrument that twangs. That's what it means. Harp twanging. So we are to play with a musical instrument, a kinor. The Greek equivalent is the word kathara, where we get the word guitar from. Ten string guitars or twelve string guitars. The salty is a skin bag. You know, you used to get, instead of bottles, they had bags, animal skins, and they filled them with wine or whatever, or water or whatever they were drinking. That's a skin bag. 
In fact, many of them believe they stretched it over to use his guitar or else they kept the bag and the early bagpipes came from this. In Scotland and Ireland, this is where this came from with the migration. So this means uh, the old pumping of the old skins and you blow them up in the bagpipes. So next time you see a Scotsman, you say, bring out the church and, and let us hear you playing along there. It means a, a skin in a bag. Play on it. And on an instrument of 12 strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. See the term loud noise? This is what it means. It's the word teruah. That means a blast of war. Church, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up. It means a blast of war. It means sound an alarm, a battle cry. Listen, the sound of a tempest. You know what should be happening every time we stand to sing in Donna Cloney? We should be singing the song of the Lord in our hearts. We should be singing on the Lord a new song, twanging on the instruments and playing with skill of music the best that we possibly can and causing a tempest in this village. There should be a whirlwind of praise that arises from God's people in this house. And that is what brings victory in the name of the Lord. I could do another week. I don't know. I have so much more material, but I want to stop there.